Hi, this is Coach Colette, host of the Start Within podcast. And guess what? I am switching it up today. Welcome to a special episode of Coach Chat. And why am I doing this? Well, today is International Social Emotional Learning Day, and my conversation is with Daniel Trinidad. He is the Restorative Justice Coordinator at Urban Assembly Media High School here in New York. Now, you may be aware that earlier this month, the New York City Department of Education made the monumental decision to close New York City public schools to help curb the spread of COVID-19. This conversation is all about Urban Assembly Media High School's journey to implement social-emotional learning through its Resilient Scholars Program. Now think of that word for a moment, resilient. Can you think of a better time than now for students to be enhancing their resilience skills? Now you may think that social emotional learning is just for kids, but you would be wrong. You will hear from Daniel how implementing SEL has not only improved student well-being and academic outcomes, but has also enhanced the overall culture and environment in the school. You'll hear from him personally how he has enhanced his own social and emotional well-being using the framework for himself. So get ready and listen up to this special episode of Coach Chat on social emotional learning. Hi, this is Coach Colette with the Start Within podcast, and I have a very special guest uh, today because if you did not already know, Today, March 27th, is Social Emotional Learning Day, and we're going to hear all about that from my guest, who is Daniel Trinidad, who is the Restorative Justice Coordinator at Urban Assembly Media High School, although neither of us are in our normal locations because we know that public schools have been closed. So welcome to this show, Daniel. Uh, Thank you for having me, Colette. Yes, we are in the end of days. (laughs) (laughs) It's so different than when we first talked about having this conversation. We were like, yeah, we'll do it in the school and it'll be great. We'll have an audience. We'll have kids. And here we are both at home podcasting in the time of Corona. But I'm really excited to have the conversation with you about um, social and emotional learning because it's something that is important to me as a, as a stress management coach and also someone who has worked with young people in my past. And I know you've got a background in special education and also um, you're doing your master's at Hunter in educational leadership. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. And I guess to start, what is this? Why are we even having this conversation? What is social and emotional learning? So social emotional learning right obviously it's it's this idea kind of of whole child uh, but specifically thinking about uh what are the soft skills that we could not only you know teach our students but help them refine and get better as they move on into you know the real world after high school 
Um, I think this conversation, especially at the high school level, I know that there's been a lot of social emotional based programming from K through eight. Um, and when we started to kind of dive into this work about four years ago, there wasn't really much talk at the high school level because the common misconception is that high schoolers, when they get to the ninth grade, they have to figure it out, right? Like they got it already, they're grown up. You know, we hear it from the parents. And I mean, and rightfully so, you know, for some of them, they have raised their child and now they're in high school, this idea that they need to figure it out. And, and, and from what we were noticing, uh, from our, you know, things from our suspension numbers to our attendance to our grad rate. So a lot of our students needed this kind of space to kind of explore and learn and practice soft skills. Now, when I say soft skills, I mean things like collaborating effectively, right? Disagree without being disagreeable, um, managing emotions, right? And if they haven't had any kind of practice leading up to the ninth grade, it's not like they're going to mad take a magic pill and learn how to not have that outburst when they're stressed because they have three tests in one day. So we started to kind of explore this work and realize that there wasn't really a program or an avenue that kind of not only taught it, but also found a way to like codify it as well. And I know that there are frameworks around this. So the skills that you mentioned, like being able to navigate through conflict and manage emotions. And it's interesting that you said that, right? That there was, there's this perception that, oh, as students somehow reach some magic age, I don't know if that's 14, 15, 16, like they've already somehow figured it out. And maybe some of them have, but that doesn't mean, right, that they don't need additional support in how to do that on a regular basis, would you say? And what, and what we quickly realized actually is that our adults, our teachers in our mid-20s and late-20s and early-30s uh, really needed to work on some of these things, <laughs> myself included, right? Like, I'm not going to sit here and act like I was the SEO guru four years ago when I was approached with this opportunity to learn about it, uh, train my staff, and then execute these lessons with our students. Um, I was, like I said, teaching special ed um, you know, I think I was kind of voluntold by my principal. Um, I do thank her for that now. I didn't know what I was getting into. They were like, oh, we have this program opportunity, you know, to learn about SEL, which, which it basically comes down to like building relationships and leveraging relationships with students, right, to kind of improve their overall outcome, right? Because what, so like clearly there's a need at the teenage level. I think there's a need in the adult level. So it's kind of has service both in tandem, both our students and our staff. Right. I mean, that's why I said that it is a passion for me because a, a good majority of my work is with adults. And so it is interesting to see that some of those same things around self-awareness and self-management and social awareness, I mean, they're important. They're human skills, right? They're not just, and, and that thing, that soft skills, right? I've always sort of bristled when, when that, that term comes up people thinking of soft versus hard. So your tech skills are hard, but your, you know, your communication skills are soft when that's not really the case. Speaking of what you were talking about in terms of the adults, have you noticed an impact on yourself or your team with this implementation of social and emotional learning? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, just if I could speak to myself first and then kind of speak to my staff after. I mean, for me, uh, much more grounded in my approach with young people. You know, you can't help but being in the trenches of teaching and lesson planning and executing lessons and managing 30 students that 
you know, your emotional bar of like wanting to snap was like not right. Could get there very easily. And like, honestly, I know it sounds cliche, but through this work, right. Being able to like take a step back, right. Make it about, you know, you know, the kid is a kid, the problem, the problem, separating those two things and going at it from that approach or not wanting to have that last word in that argument with that student. Uh, because you feel like you're going to lose that kind of power dynamic in the classroom that is all kind of made up and kind of like a teacher thing when, you know, in reality, we need to be working in collaboration with our young people because they're the ones that are coming up with all the good ideas. And, and that's kind of like has led our work with advisory team leaders, which is our student kind of version of government, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. But um, yeah, for me, like I said, much more grounded, much more troubleshooting problem solving as more to like saying all oh, this kid's never going to change right? I mean we've all been there right our frustrations have gotten the best of us all oh, this student's never going to grow to more of like what can we do to help and support this student because clearly you know he keeps coming to school every day right I mean he you know he's turning up in the classroom but he's showing up every day right so what do we have to do you know to bring this young person into our community and when they have like kind of that purpose, it usually kind of helps and helps them grow. And then in terms of a staff, like coming from a lot of my work before teaching was in the discipline department, reading things like referrals, anecdotals, um, why do teachers kick out students in the classroom for what reasons through this work and obviously the castle framework. And I know you touched it talking about self-awareness, self-management, our castle model kind of has helped reduce like just you know teachers are able to like keep their emotions in check and help students kind of come back and then that keeps them in the room which then in turn you know leads to better outcomes right you said it's four years so have you seen a change in the environment like what have you noticed either anecdotally or in terms of statistics that there's been some sort of an impact so, I mean, I think in terms of the data, I don't have hard numbers in front of me, but I know for us, um, when we first kind of embarked on this, it was just about reducing suspensions. That was like our first data-driven point, like what do we need to do? Um, and then we looked at a couple other things. Yearly, there's a learning environment survey that's taken by teachers, students, parents. We looked at some indicators there, particularly around trust between like student teacher, teacher parent, teacher administration, right? So we looked at those indicators. How can we improve those like in comparison to city average as well as lowering our suspensions? Um, so we definitely have lowered suspensions to the point where it's not even a data point that we consider. Cause like once you start having and having and having like at the end of the day, conflict does happen, right? This is not like the land of make-believe where we don't have a fight here and there where there's not an argument that escalates. But I think it's the response and the approach of like restoring that is where our work lies, that it doesn't become like more of a recidivism type culture. Uh, so that's like kind of that data. And then through the years, like our attendance data has gone up slightly. Our graduation rate has increased. Our credit accumulation has increased. So, I mean, those are things that, you know, states, districts, they want to see um, in terms of keeping the lights on. But then obviously on the flip side, you know, we have this, very warm comforting environment our teachers are sitting at the door they know all their students they're learning about them they know about their backgrounds they know about their interests and you know you could you know and our students like latch on to that and they say oh you know my favorite teacher is so and so because of that right so you have the 
anecdotal kind of stuff, the day-to-day, the feelings, but then obviously you want to support it with some sort of data because everyone loves data. Yeah. And I think, and it is important to have both because in that sense of, for people that are sensitive to energy, right? If you can walk into your school, like some people probably can just feel like they wouldn't know what it is, but they might just feel like, wow, I just feel comfortable here. I feel safe here. And, and that isn't always quantifiable. And yet it is such an important part of what we're talking about. You know, it it feels really good when we have guests come in. I mean, we've done showcases throughout the years where guests will come from out of state, out of country uh, to tour our floor and pop into some classrooms. And, and yes, it's that warm, welcoming feeling. And we're one school in a six school campus building uh, without windows. So, you know, we really have the environmental chip stacked against us in terms of creating a space that's like warm and safe enough so that our students can learn. You mentioned students, and I know ideally we were hoping to have a, a student participate in this conversation, but what, what can you share with us about how students are feeling about SEL and how it impacts their learning or just their experience at the school? I know, it's unfortunate that we didn't get our, our kiddos here. Um, if I had to put on the hat of a student, I think for a lot of our students, um, it's kind of given them a voice and given them a home. Um, so, you know, everyone's been in a house where there's a situation and then you have to kind of come to the table and work on a plan for resolution. Our students are actively involved in those things. And when they feel that the energy's off, like you like alluded to, they're willing to have the conversation. They're willing to go out and figure out what that is and try to make the changes needed. And that's kind of where like our advisory team leaders, which is what we call them, uh, kind of more of a town hall based format as opposed to like a hierarchical, like prez, vice prez, top down. It's more like of myself and my principal sitting with about, I mean, we have about 19 reps this year and, and, and we meet weekly sometimes multiple times a week around things that are happening you know we just made an awesome spirit wednesdays for the month of march which who knows maybe we'll do virtual spirit wednesdays i really don't know where this road is going to take us Uh, (laughs) for our students is giving them a voice is giving them a platform for them for them to feel heard right i mean we were all young people at one point and, and when we're not heard it hurts uh so i think if we could at least create those opportunities for them And then hopefully, you know, as they step out into that real world, they'll make sure they carry that voice through for their communities. And how do they contribute to decision-making? So the 19 representatives, or they they represent the students? Yeah, so so they actually represent the students, right? A big one that we have, right, which is what I always reference, we have a break period within our day between periods five and six, because our lunch is an out-to-lunch at the end of the day. We have a unique schedule. So we didn't want to do seven straight periods where our students were in the class. Uh, We know academic stamina is something that's worked on, not just dropped in. So our break period, it's a time for students to grab a snack if they have snacks in their locker. So they don't have to be anywhere, but they have to be somewhere within our floor. So for people who visit, they get really nervous because they're like, oh, 400 kids in the hallways, it's gonna be crazy. Uh, But what we made sure that we do and we do every year and we revisit it often is we build a social contract, a school-wide break period social contract where they make up 
kind of the agreements, uh, not so much from a no base perspective, but more like things that they should consider like, oh, like manage your volume, right? Because they know that if I'm loud and loud, 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 it becomes too crazy, right? Uh, respect people's space. Right? Make sure you use the trash because if they're having a snack and they leave all their stuff on the floor, then we have to come back to the table and we have taken break away on recommendation of our student body uh, because if things start to get out of hand, right? And sometimes we need that reset every once in a while. So those kind of situations will bring our advisory reps in to say, hey, like what's the best plan of kind of way to restore the environment so that our students have this opportunity. And they always come to the table with something awesome. They always follow through on it. And it's always much stronger than myself or an administrator saying, break suspended, everyone go to your rooms, right? Like, I mean, right. no, nobody's trying to hear that. So. It's the restorative part, right? This sense of that they have ideas and tapping into and using their ideas. And I love what you said about social contracts. So what happens if the contract is broken? Yeah, no, and, and that's part of coming back to that table, right? And even within each advisory, each advisory has their own social contract, which will kind of guide their conversations throughout the year. Um, and they revisit it like at the start of the second semester, which is just now in, back in February. And they kind of revisit, oh, like, all right, I know we all wanted to do one mic at the start. We don't really do one mic. Making it kind of a live living document that gets input from your students, you usually get a better engagement output than me printing out the 10 uh, basic rules of Mr. Trinidad's advisory classroom <laughs> and slap it on the wall for, you know, for a check off on my observation. Right, like we did this check. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when you include students in the conversation in the voting process, you come back to it, you you hold everyone accountable to it, right? It has to be that living document. If you just mention it in September and then don't look at it till uh, January, then are you really honoring that process? Right. Given that we are living in the age of corona, what aspects of SEL do you think are having an impact, or I know it's kind of early to say, but like, or are, are you using aspects of SEL to guide the process of how the school is navigating to remote learning and all of the other decisions that need to be made in this special time? So today was like a first day of school, right? Like, you know, all the kids were eager to text me for their attendance today. I'm sure Google Classroom is lighting up with completed assignments. Um, I really, you know, I think the real work is going to happen about two, three weeks down the line if we're still in this pattern. I think a big thing about SEL is like human connection, right? And that ability to shake hands, right? The little bit, the ability to give a hug if comfortable, right? And, and that kind of human to human kind of like, you can't replace that touch, right? Like there's that, that connection feeling there. Um, I think for our students, a lot of them, we're still dealing with how do we get them on the internet? How can we get them the technological device to even access the classroom, right? How do we knock down these barriers that we know have been there since for a while and now they're ever so apparent? I think for us, it's how can we mimic the human connection virtually, right? How can we get ourselves face-to-face -face with as many students as we can to say, hey, what's up? I'm locked in a room too, right? Because it's not like the kids are home and I'm on a beach somewhere hanging out, right? Like, the, you know, like we're just as quarantined, right? And for a lot of my teachers and staff, 
we've lost our childcare. So now not only are we managing virtual classrooms, managing virtual students and talking to students, you know, I have to feed my seventh month old, right? So like, it's interesting. And I don't have an answer per se, but I think we have to kind of recreate the human connection virtually uh, the best way we know how. No, and that's a good point, right? We're still at the we're still at the beginning of this, and schools and companies, and we're all trying to figure that out um, as well. So I wanted to ask, you know, given that we are both born and raised in the Bronx, people, um, yay! Um, <laughs> what you think about how SEL is helpful for you know students of color or in communities of color? there are all these sorts of stats around, you know, students of color in other environments being, you know, more likely to receive punitive consequences for behavior. How do you see SEL as being a tool to support students of color? Well, I mean, I, I, think, the, I think the numbers were clear when you look at suspensions amongst demographics, right? Amongst race and, and who gets suspended the most. Uh, how often are the, who are the recidivists of suspension um, in comparison groups, right? So, I mean, I think if anything, SEL has helped keep our students in school, right? I think this concept of pushing a kid out of the door and thinking that they're going to make the plan to be better, it's counterintuitive to what we're trying to do. So I think if anything, SEL has helped keep our young people, right? I have a demographic of, you know, 90 plus percentage, you know, black and Latino students coming from all five boroughs, you know, in Midtown Manhattan West, which is like lunch is like $15, right? And you got our kids coming from the Bronx and Far Rockaway and Staten Island. So this community within a community within a community kind of feel, but if anything, I think it's helped level that playing field of, lowering those numbers and allowing our students to remain in the rooms um, and, and have access to that education that they deserve. So what do you think of the episode so far? What are your main takeaways? Before we jump into the next segment, I have a question for you. What's at stake for your health if you continue living your current routine? The thing is, we get so used to doing things in the same ways, we're actually more afraid to make changes than we are to live out our worn out routines, even if they are causing us to feel ill, stressed, or overwhelmed. Can you imagine what it would be like to wake up in the morning and not have it hurt when you get out of bed and to feel excited about your day? It is possible when you start within and I'd like to help you do it. You can visit my website startwithincoaching.com and at the top click start here to schedule your complimentary activation call. We can talk about what's going on in your life right now, how you are in your health, and where you would like to be. So go to startwithincoaching.com and click start here to start your journey within.
I wanted to switch gears a little bit um, because you mentioned about having your seven month old and I wanted to talk a little bit more about what are some of the things that you do to keep yourself uh, grounded and how do you nurture your own health and well-being? Yeah, man, that gas tank needs, right? Constant refilling, right? Day in and day out, uh, we're going above and beyond for our young people um, and supporting them in ways that, you know, sometimes you often overlook taking care of yourself. Like I said, for me, transformation of self, like three, past three, four years, like by far, um, I have found myself, you know, seeking out that yoga practice. Uh, I got to thank my wife for that as well, but also just in general, like she used to go to yoga way before, like I started to embark in this. And now it's like something that I seek um, as, as a way to kind of refill that tank. Obviously being active, uh, being a member of a gym has been helpful. Uh, obviously having buddies within that system, right? Every, every system needs a support, right? So you got to have a couple of your buddies that will keep you on to task. I mean, I've found my, like I've being active in anything from sports. Uh, but yeah, definitely like even just thinking of these five competencies from Castle and how like I've sought out yoga or that higher being, that ability to belly breathe, to help reduce stress in the moment. Uh, those things are, are, are super important because if you want to continue to do this work and do this work like with integrity and or at least with the with the energy output right because if i got nothing to give to you like i'm i'm at wit's end i really can't help you so yes i think having to find those outlets and now with the gym being closed right your yoga studios being closed you know we're ramping on the google to see who's live streaming a, a yoga thing or like i i think like once again it's going to change in terms of and i believe like you know, there's companies that are offering like free subscriptions to like video based working out stuff. But then like, for me, it's going to have to be finding that time when my kid's napping or when I'm not having a Zoom meeting with my colleagues. Right. And like where like your schedule is flipped upside down. Right. Like, I mean, I think that's seems to be the common thread in a lot of my conversations with with my colleagues and friends and family. And how, how are you and your colleagues maintaining community through all of this? So we have, we have two Zoom meetings as a staff, once in the morning, once in the afternoon, right? Part for accountability and attendance, but also just to kind of loop everybody in. I have found that even in this short time to be uh, one of the most fulfilling parts of my day, uh, being able to see all my colleagues in front of the screen, um, just checking in, laughing, asking how everyone's doing. There's like a kid crawling on a shoulder in the background. Everyone's got their cat or dog to show and put on display. So yeah, even in this short time, I have found that those times where we come together, 35, 40 strong. And then once everyone gets in there, it goes loud, crazy, then you have to mute everybody. But just as that crescendo happens, you're like checking in with everyone. And then, you know, my principal, my AP are giving us, you know, things that they're finding out on the go because now, you know, you worry about, you know, students' graduations, right? Unfortunately, they've lost all their senior-based activities. So now, you know, how do we help them kind of cope with that, that they won't have a senior year, right? Our prom, our senior trip was all in May and June. Um, those are all things that have been coming to light over the past 24 hours. And I'm sure when I meet with my students on Thursday on Zoom, they're uh, going to probably tell me all about that. And are there 
individualized supports that you that your that you and your colleagues are creating for students where they can also check in if they need help outside of the classroom time yes i mean i think that's where like a lot of our where our guidance counselors are going to start to go right and i think much like the first week or first couple of days of school everyone's going to class everyone's moving in the virtual hallways everyone's completing their assignments and everyone has the smiles on their face and i think our guidance department in, in terms of outside of their mandated counseling will have to, you know, use the Zoom space to do groups or individualize because they're, the kids are going to start to drop. Um, as kids start to like not submit assignments on Google Classroom that they, you know, they're not going to be responding via text to their advisor for attendance. And I think those will be much like in a real school where a student stops coming or they come at 12 noon they're only there for an hour and a half and they're put their head down, right? They're, now it's like the virtual head down is like not, not responding. And then our guidance is going to have to step in and, and all our support staff are getting their job titles kind of reworked on the fly. And I think everyone just has to make themselves available to young people and, and also to each other. I mean, I, I think it's, it's just as much as the young people as it is for us as adults. I mean, we have a little more resilience, but you would be surprised the amount of resilience that our young people deal with before entering my school building at 815. So I'm in constant awe of them. So I think just finding those leverageable pieces and yeah, checking in, checking in like we are now, Colette. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and one question that I ask all of my podcast guests is what does start within mean to you? So, I mean, I think start within, I think it's what we kind of alluded to in our conversation, right? It's like, what do you have to give, right? If you don't, you need to, you need to fill up yourself with, you know, those good positive vibes or whatever it is that keeps you whole and kind of fulfills you. And then, because if you don't have anything to give, like you're not helping anyone else, right? You're hurting others and you're hurting yourself, right? It's like that kind of self-damage that you need to repair. So starting within, you always got to look within yourself, right? Where, where, where do you find your healing? Can you heal? And if you can't heal, you, you also have to let go, right? Not every, not every situation in your life can be healed, right? For a variety of reasons, right? It takes two people to come together and, 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 and kind of start that healing process. So at sometimes you have to learn how to let go. Um, but definitely start within is it's, you got to look within yourself. Once again, that might be very cliche. I don't, know, I don't know how others have answered it in the past, but I think especially in these times, uh, you really got to kind of use every ounce of your social emotional learning gas tank. Absolutely. And I love what you said about letting go because we are in such a time of transition and there are many things that we're all needing to let go of or put down in, in this time. Yeah. I mean, I think this is now more of a time than ever to reach out to somebody that you have a fractured relationship with and kind of reach out and mend the fence because, you know, I know I joke that this is the end of days podcast. I mean, we really don't know where this is going to take us, right? I mean, this is right as close to like a movie pandemic that you've seen uh, throughout the years, whether you like Walking Dead or Outbreak or, or any, you know, any kind of thing where there's this 
or Armageddon, you know what I mean? Like they have all these things. So I think if anything, you might want to reach out to that somebody and say, hey, how are you? Or, you know, how are you doing? Or how, how are you holding up? And then, you know, you would be surprised in these times, you know, people are willing to kind of come out of their shell. That's, that's an excellent point. And in some ways, I feel like it brings us back to what you were speaking about earlier, that there is no magic age for when these skills develop, right? So obviously, we're talking about social and emotional learning in schools, but we're never too old, really, to, to pick up these and enhance these skills, would you say? Yeah, I think I'll, like, so there's this common, there's like a maturity kind of bell curve, right? Where kids develop and, and older people, right? And then I think for old, older people, you know, you kind of hit like a plateau. You're like, oh, I'm in my ways, like figure it out. Like, sorry, can't help you, right? Like, but I think like- That sounds very New York. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> like, yo, like, excuse me, boss, I can't help you, man. You know, when they're like, look at, but like, you plateau and I think once again if we could go back to kind of the start within right I think SEL has kind of allowed older people right to kind of get that you know mindsets is something that's really huge that we talk about with our students it's a big unit we try to do it early on because this fixed mindset versus the growth mindset and, and how and how we are and when you read the fixed mindset examples it's like literally our lives like oh, i'll never be good at math right I'll, I'll never do this as opposed to like i think i could at least do you know open myself up to getting through it or looking at it from this perspective and just keeping those doors open as opposed to just closing them so i think if anything it's allowed our older staff and myself included uh, even though I think I'm part of that older staff now, I don't know. I've I've I started at UAM very young, and 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 I think I'm a dinosaur now in DOE. Even though I'll be 35 in a few weeks, uh, in terms of DOE time, I think I'm like a fossil. But I think if anything, it's allowed older staff who have hardened in their ways to kind of look at at things from a different perspective. Because you know, education itself has transformed so much in the past decade. Um, I could show you like the book, the citywide like discipline book from like 2008 in comparison to the book now and the things you could suspend and can't suspend on how much it's changed in the past decade, thankfully for the better. Right. But then again, if you think about the educational mindset of like, you know, zero tolerance, right. That was the theme. That was what the chancellor's message, mayor's message, whoever's message it was that kind of came down to the schools was this concept of zero tolerance to get outcomes and that was what they were pushing and clearly the numbers and the incidents weren't reflective of the growth that they wanted to see and now it's now the DOE discipline book itself has a lot of restorative based practice in it uh, which I think is awesome and it's moving in the right direction but even when we started this work four years ago uh, there wasn't much work in there around that so I think everyone's starting to kind of come around which is awesome uh, but then, you know, when too many people get into it without the kind of fidelity and training and growth in there, you know, I, I, I worry if it's, if it's going to be effective in the long term. Mm. So meaning that the framework still needs to have some integrity. And so no, you I, I think, yeah, I think the framework is there, but how are we training the staff? How are we training like the schools, right? To like 
be able to do this, right? It took a lot of work from a lot of adults, like my administration had to rework their mission and vision. And, and, and we had to have almost a year's worth of professional development um, of looking at these lessons, breaking them down, misconceptions, conflict within each other in order to think about this perspective to give to our students, right? So it, it's a huge undertaking. I mean, the approach that we did, I mean, I don't regret it because of the outcome and the work and the change that happened. But, you know, you just put it in a book and hand it out. Like, are, are, we, get, are we servicing our staff the best way possible? Got it. Right. So it's not just theory. It's in how the how those theories and the framework is implemented is what's important. Yes. Implementation has been, I think implementation is key. I love what you said about the distinction between the fixed mindset and the growth mindset, because again, I feel like there are so many kernels here that are not just applicable for the young people, but for all of us to be considering. And particularly in these times of, it can be very easy to say, well, okay, I'm not, that's not going to work, or I'll never be able to do that, or I can't go outside, like all of the things that we can't do versus looking at, well, what are the opportunities even in this time? Yeah. I mean, it's, the end of days podcast with uh, Colette. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the end of days though, because growth mindset would say. It's I know. The, see, there you go. So you're checking the, me, right? It's a it's, constant check. Go ahead. Check me. Go ahead. It's the beginning yes. of days. Uh, yes. It's the beginning of a new, of a new social contract, right? New social norms. I know. And it's tough. Like I'm coming from a family that hugs and kisses everybody when you say hello, right? Like, like, and especially my wife's family as well. So. I'm used to just giving out hugs and kisses when they see everybody. And, and now like people don't even want to stand next to you on the corner. It's, it's definitely the, it's definitely revisiting kind of, like I said, social norms. Absolutely. So is there one thing that you would want our listeners to know about UAM and your approach to social and emotional learning? If I had to give our listeners, I mean, I would say, Definitely what has helped us and helped our kids and, and kind of helps the work is, is our CASEL framework, which are our five core competencies, right? Self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, with the ultimate top of the mountain being responsible decision-making, right? I think that is so paramount with our young people because they're going to make mistakes, right? We're going to make mistakes, but what we really want is to not make the mistake that's going to cost them right? So much. In that heat of the moment, in that conflict, right? You're choosing to walk away as opposing to wanting to sock them in the face. And then that person falls and splits their head open. Right? I'm not trying to be blunt, but then now this person's life has changed forever through that one decision, right? And we make decisions all the time, right? From the guy on the train that doesn't say, excuse me, right? To the, you know, the crazy person walking down the street that just pushes you out the way because they're late and, and they're losing their mind. So through this work, right, we hope that we're giving them kind of the ability to make the best possible decision in the moment, given the situation. And that decision making, that's going to serve them in their academic career, in their future lives, yes. and, and beyond. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's for a college and career ready, right? I mean, I think this concept of they're entering the real world after high school. They're already in the real world when they're in high school, when they're in middle and elementary. Like, let's not 
try to like differentiate the two, right? Like the decisions that they're making and the, and the situations that they're navigating in high school will be the same situation that they navigate in the workplace, right? From the boss that, you know, is micromanaging you, you know, to the, the shady coworker that's sending emails like behind your back, right? Like it's, it's a different avenue, but it's the same conflict, right? It's dealing with gossip. It's filter, you know, figuring out the source of information, filtering out information, that's fantastic. Well, I mean, I say thank you to you and your team for all that you're doing for the students there and for yourselves, because it really sounds like you've also built a great community of colleagues there as well. Yeah, I mean, look, we are under a lot of stress, uh, but I can't envision this stress and having like a toxic coworker based environment on top of the stress that we're under, right? I think the ability of having those strong interpersonal connections is really allowing us to try to breathe here and there. I mean, we're, we're freaking out just like everybody else, but I think if, if I had to choose, I'd rather, you know, I'm glad I'm with this group of people who I know that are, they're going to work hard to service our students, like regardless of the situation. Right. That's amazing. And that responsible decision-making can help, all of us outside in these times of uncertainty, when you're not sure which way to choose, right? Having those interpersonal skills and that self-awareness can also be helpful to make, to make the right choice. Yeah. I mean, like I miss my parents. I miss my niece. I want to go see them, but am I making the best choice by leaving the house and going, whether I feel great or not, that's not my determination to decide. And then I become a host virus. Right. And then I'm like infecting everybody. So like, I, I miss my parents. Like, obviously we FaceTime every day. We know it, that's not the same, but I also know that I'm making the best decision that not only supports my parents, but supports everyone of New York state, New York city. And when you have that kind of mindset of the bigger picture, right, it really is helpful in, in making the best choice for, for everyone. Well, thank you for taking time out of your day to have this conversation. I've really enjoyed all of we our got, conversations. And we, got, we got nothing but time, Claire. We got nothing but time now. <laughs> I mean, I got nothing but time for podcasts, I guess, uh, in these times. But yeah, definitely, you know, obviously the work of David Adams, Brandon Frame, Josh Bobrow, like those are guys who have, you know, worked for Urban Assembly, you know, we're a network of 21, 22 schools. Um, and they, you know, had this kind of idea and, you know, picked us as a pilot school and, and then we went for it. And then it was a lot of their support and a lot of their kind of ability to take us to come in, assess it from their eyes, right? We were on the front lines, right? And that kind of collaboration of network and school really helped to accelerate that, right? Like, um, I mean, obviously, I had had a team. It was myself, uh, Bridget Garzanetti, my principal, Cordelia Veve. But then since then, we've added so many other team members, Paolo Fonseca, uh, Dr. Janine DiMarzo, excuse me, Mr. Leonard Bruno. So, I mean, like, just in that aspect, right, our capacity has grown from, like, me and Bridget, like, you know, photocopying these lessons to, like, having a team of six and seven that are, like, building these things that, are changing with the time. So I, I, I mean, I think shout out to Urban Assembly and obviously shout out to you for, you know, asking me to kind of partake in this conversation. It was awesome. Yeah, this was amazing. And yes, and I also know Brandon and I hope to have him on 
start within podcast uh, sometime soon as well. So, <laughs> and I hope that when all of this subsides, that I'll have the opportunity to come on campus and actually see what you all are doing uh, in person. That would be awesome. I don't know if it's going to be this year. I mean, that's the sobering reality of finishing out a year uh, remotely. These, these, I wouldn't call it end of days, right? I'm, I moved from that beginning yes. of the podcast and the days growth mindset, uh, <laughs> beginning of a new uh, social norm. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you and the team are doing. All right. Thank you, Colette. Take care. If you enjoyed this episode and haven't already subscribed, you can do so on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. You also can connect with me on Instagram at coach underscore Colette for more inspiration on personal growth and wellness. Stay tuned for another episode of Coach Chat and get ready to start within to finish strong.